irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. Excellent. Welcome to the show, season finale. Uh, Barry Katz is here for our first ever part two wow. uh, interview. And Barry, I tried to get the sound guy to change it to Alan Wee. Oh, <laughs> you did. I tried to, but he wasn't available. Really? Yeah, he was like, "It's uh, too bad." He's like, "It's the last episode of the season. We'll do it next year." Well, I mean, Alan really geared up for this episode. <laughs> I know. He was like so excited to see you. He's like, I, I know. I, I can tell he dressed in a shirt that with colors <laughs> not found in nature. It's unbelievable. You should see this shirt. If this was a video, is this video here? No. Do you no. want us to go? No, on? no, no, no. We, we, we want to keep the viewers. <laughs> I mean, the, and the listeners. But Al, were I you like were you look. excited to, to? Honestly, I was because tell your face, my face. Yes, that you're excited. Oh, ha ha ha! He even shaved. I did, yeah. and I, I I even trimmed this. It's much smaller. Look how tiny that is. <laughs> Do you say that to all the men? <laughs> I, I I'm an honest, straightforward person and i express myself it's good i i i came back because i i i actually love you guys oh thank you so much i love you too i i I thought i was gonna do an interview about actual comedy and the business and instead it turned out to be a comedy central roast of alan weed I don't know what happened yeah well that's how that was the game plan but then it got changed to that now these shoes are the ones I I had last week because uh, my feet sometimes they swell up just a touch. I I had these beautiful uh, suede, <laughs> royal blue, uh, Calvin Klein's slippers. I don't know what's more I said, funny. I said, the story you know, I, or I, said, I said, is this a uh, is this a shoe podcast? <laughs> We're, we're promoting vans this week. It's just a fashion statement. It's hard to, it, it's hard to take fashion <laughs> advice from a guy wearing a shirt from a Philippines rag shop and an orange scuba watch. I bought this on Ventura Boulevard, right on Magnolia. That's they're where, closed now. That's where they have all the scuba <laughs> watches. <laughs> I wonder why they're cl- they're closed now. Man, business is hard in the fashion industry. Yeah, at least they sold that one watch. <laughs> that's right. But I wanted to come yes. back here yes. because I, I like you guys. You've got a great you. chemistry. Uh-huh. You've interviewed you. some great people. Uh-huh. And I figured if I came back for the season finale, <laughs> I could actually answer questions oh, sure. <laughs> and that you want to answer as opposed to rambling on forever. Yeah, well, no. I mean, we'll that, that was a great episode. I like the ramblings because uh, we were trying to get Colin Kane who uh, you represent, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, he can't do it. I'll do it. <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> Colin Keane is a very interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who know uh, him or uh, study comedy or savants, yeah. he's, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different comedians yeah. <clears throat> out there, just like music, but you don't think about it. You don't think about that Barry Manilow sells millions of records and so does Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. 
<clears throat> in comedy, you don't think that of the different types. You're so used to talking about the greats, you know, like that are working today, like Chappelle and Rock and Jim Jeffries and right. all those people. You don't think about the people that are sort of flying under the radar but selling out almost every show and you don't understand why. And Colin has a very unique way of doing things unlike other comics. First of all, if you follow comedy, he does probably the rarest kind of comedy. Now, I'm not saying on this microphone that his comedy, he would sit here and say that he's got the kind of comedy at the level of Chappelle. Right. He does his lane, and his lane is insult, hard-edged, hard-edged comedy. Kind of like Alan Lee. I've never seen I've never seen his comedy, and even in this room I haven't seen it. Um, so, but, but he wears the the scuba. It's all visual. Socks. It's all, all visual. That's prop comedy. <laughs> so so the thing about Colin is is that if you can think about it, yeah. thinking if you you know comedy, think how many comedians you know that do insult comedy from start to finish, and it's mm-hmm. hardcore edgy comedy so it's like you know there was rickles yeah there's lampanelli mm-hmm. the, the dice yeah. maybe does a mixture so it's a rare form mm-hmm. it's very hard to make it big when you're doing that and so when you mentioned collins fascinating to me because he's a guy who doesn't want to work all over the country he probably is a guy who only works maybe 10 markets in the country yeah he doesn't want to go out that much. He'd rather do a one-nighter for a lot of people, a lot of money, than just do a, a whole week. He, it's, it's very exhausting for him, his kind of comedy, to be able to go, because you're essentially improvising a lot of the stuff you do, right. and you have to put a lot into a kind. Some comedies you have to put more into. I, people might disagree with me, but the guy who stands there and has his routine set and has written it and rehearsed it and done it a million times, it's going to be easier than a guy who the pressure of knowing you're going on and half of the stuff you're doing, you don't you don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to do it, but you know it's got to kill and you know you got to get a standing ovation, which is what he gets almost every night. Yeah, so. I've seen him live. He's awesome. Yeah. I think he would have been perfect on the show because he would have been a good target for Alan Lee. Well, the thing is, he doesn't really like to do a lot of um, radio and podcast yeah. either because he has this thing where, uh, again, he, you know, like Colonel Sanders has the formula and nobody knows the formula. I, I don't. Know, I know the formula. I don't even know Colin Kane's formula because mm-hmm. I don't know, how, you know, I, if you were to ask me how he sells out every show without mm-hmm. being on television that much, if you were to ask me how he does it without doing hardly any radio or any promotion at all. Yeah. I don't know, but he has his own unique marketing system that he does and he controls. And it's a metaphor for artists out there. Like, mm-hmm. he essentially does things the way he wants to, and he doesn't do follow the rules. Right. I just did an interview for uh, an article on Patrice O'Neill, oh. and Patrice was a similar kind of artist, mm-hmm. not in the material, but similar in the sense that, you know, I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. And if it works for me, great. If it doesn't work for other people, hey, that's too bad. You know, yeah. I'm going to do it. And if I become rich or I become broke or anywhere in between, I'm going to follow my gut and do what I want to do and not not change anything. Yeah, yeah. That's like actually the perfect marketing plan for a comics comic, though. 
You know what I mean? Like Todd Glass is like that. You know, he just does it how he wants to do it. I just interviewed him. Oh yeah, in Montreal for the Industry Standard, the podcast, and I mean, I wasn't expecting it, but I mean, he got really, 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 really hot and about a topic yeah. that we talked about, which was, do I think the comedians of yesterday? were or are stronger than the comedians of today and my thought process was you know i don't know what the differential is Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's one percent or fifty percent but when you think of the comics of yesterday like you know rodney and Pryor and eddie murphy and steve martin and and wait they were yesterday yeah, like from from the eighties. No, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not talking in a time space continuum that works for your works for no, no, yesterday. No. That was a sophisticated oh, joke no. for me. No, I, I have Asperger's, so I was like, trying to... oh, stop using that fucking thing excuse all the time to get ratings. Fucking anybody will do anything for ratings. Yeah. All right, but uh, yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. tell, tell you something. If you have Asperger's. Then most of the population has some kind of disability. No, no, they they do actually. I think, they all have aspirations. I think I think everyone has a form of something. Yeah, I really do. You're very present. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the point being, I live in today. <laughs> you live there in you today. Go. But the point being, you know, I I mentioned about ten or twelve people mm-hmm. who I thought were, you know, Carl and mm-hmm. I could go mm-hmm. on and on yeah, and yeah. on, and um, and. We were going back and forth with his list, and and his argument was, which is a very good argument, you don't know where Chappelle and Rock and Jim Jeffries and Jim Gaffigan and all these great people of today, and I'm 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 missing a ton because there's so many yeah. amazing people out there. You don't know where they're gonna be, um, you know, in 20 years, 30 years, either. So these people could be equal or better than all of those people. But I think what I the argument that I had for him was, if I were to sit Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, and Jim Jeffries in a room, and I were to ask them, "Do you think you're um, uh, at this stage of the game? Do you think you're a better comedian uh, than Richard Pryor or Bill Cosby was or Carlin or?" Hmm. And they'd say, "I would presume they would say." Well, the, those people are the greatest of all time. I hope by the end of my career mm-hmm. that I get to a point where people consider me in that category. I think that would be the kind of answer I presume that they would say. Right. Inside, I know that Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock and Jim Jeffries know that they would take any section of some of the greatest material that they've ever performed and and put it up next to those people and feel proud that they were at that level but i don't think they'd verbalize it right right yeah so todd was saying that so who won the argument (laughs) well you'll have to listen to the podcast when it comes out to see who won the argument it's not it's not about winning no 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 i interviewed this guy uh victor levin who uh has a movie coming out called Destination Wedding with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. Yeah, we talked about that a lot. And we met him. You met him yeah. out of the elevator. Yeah. And we talked about that last, last episode. Yeah. But what I don't think we talked about was, is that, uh, and if we did, you'll edit it out. No, no, <laughs> we don't edit. Ta- but, he, but he talked about how 
I said, have you been fired? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, Barry, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, I've never been fired. Writers are never fired, Barry. I said, what are you talking about, Victor? He says, no. What happens is, Barry, is you're not asked back. <laughs> <laughs> and so that relates to me, to what we were just talking about, yeah. in a different sense. Yeah. There's just a different word for it. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, it's think, oh, so you're just fired. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, you were telling me that that script only has uh, Keanu and Renata Ryder, yeah. and they're the only two actors, and I think that that's fascinating. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a cool movie, and uh, but every artist, you know, the way they work, and I presume again, this is what this show is about. Yeah, yeah, is about the artist way, the artist point of view, and how it is, and I think that's the unique thing about why I love this business so much is there's so much, to, you know. You go into a comedy club, and let's say Gary Gullman's performing, who's one of the one of the greatest greatest performers, great material, great guy, amazing. You'll see him in the corner, he'll have a notebook, he'll be writing down things, right. he's got everything. <clears throat> and then you talk about somebody like Patrice O'Neill mm-hmm. or Dave Chappelle. I don't think I've ever seen a piece of paper and a pen ever near them. And you wonder, well, how do they do this material? How do they go on for hours? How do they make it work? And they don't, they've never even written anything down. Right. They don't have a computer with it. You know, For me, like, can you imagine uh, the people listening? I guess you can imagine, because we all know people who go to the grocery store <laughs> without a list. Yeah, yeah. Well do, you have, well, do you know what you're getting? Yeah, I know what I'm getting. And they walk through each aisle, and they get what they get, and it's familiar. Right. And there's other people who have to have that list. To like, check it yeah, off. I'm the yeah. guy who has to have the list. Oh, are you? Yes. I'm the guy who just walks around, like, the cereal aisle, and be like, oh, I want cereal. Oh, actually, I changed my mind. I want Pop-Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's, that's how I write. Is know. that, like, an improv comic? What? Are you, are you saying that that's an improv no, I was just telling him how I shop for groceries. Tarts. I wasn't telling him how. Oh, but you said you changed your mind at that moment, and you found that, that, that you know, like... Alan, have you ever been sick <laughs> for a podcast? Uh, well, I've had been under the weather. <laughs> like where you didn't show up? Yes. Yeah, there's been a couple yes. times. And well, how were those shows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, let the, I'll let the viewers I'll let the viewers be the judge of that. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> Uh, I did one by myself with uh, Ron Lynch. Oh, yeah, I Ron, did miss one. Ron Lynch. Yeah. I started with Ron Lynch. Really? In yeah. Boston. He's wonderful. <laughs> he's an amazing guy. No, but he's he's, improv- he's improvisational. Can I say that? He did this routine I'll never forget on an open mic night. He did a character called Felix Foob. And this shows you how long ago it was. Mm-hmm. So, do you remember, you guys won't remember, maybe the audience will remember, the cassette recorders that were probably eight inches long by six inches or five inches and then wide. And you put the tape in. And you put the cassette tape in, and they had the five or six buttons wow. on the one side. Rewind, fast forward, stop, pause, play. And you'd press play and record to, Together. to Together. record. Yeah, exactly. And there'd be a pause button if you wanted. So, yeah. he goes on stage introduced as Felix Foob for an open mic night. 
and he walks up very slow and methodically uh, with that shirt you're wearing, Alan, <laughs> and uh, same same scuba watch and and, and, and and shoes from Morgan Memorial. <laughs> Does Ron Lynch own this store? <laughs> and apparently, uh, so and he had a there was a rope around his neck down like a chain about mid chest, and it was attached to this cassette recorder that was hanging. <laughs> from his body but you got to remember this is a big device this right. thing weighs about maybe two pounds mm -hmm. and he just gets up there he takes the mic stand brings it down to where the speaker is of the thing presses play <laughs> on the cassette recorder and the whole act is him just staring straight ahead at the audience never flinching never moving and the tape recorder going how you doing <laughs> Thank you very much. And he would just do jokes, and oh, that one, that one didn't go well. And but the but but the but the recording, it, it he did the recording with pauses where he thought the crowd would laugh, <laughs> where they wouldn't laugh, and it was five minutes of the funniest. I I mean I I was blown away, but I love that, and I never saw him do it again. Oh man. We should we should call him and tell him to do it again. Oh, uh, it'd be like Barry Katz told us an amazing story about you. He used to be part of a comedy team, <clears throat> and I'm embarrassed to say that I forget uh, the name of the comedy team. And I used to book this club called Play It Again Sam's in Boston. It was a basement comedy club, and the stage was in the corner, and the ceilings were very low, sort of like the comedy cellar in New York, where mm -hmm. if you're six foot three or whatever, you'd be right up against the ceiling. It, it wasn't even a seven-foot ceiling. Right. And they used to close off with this bit that I, I mean, loved. I thought it was so original, although it was a physical bit, and it wasn't a bit where there was words and and you know, that was, you would say, as a smart bit. Right. But they say, before we go, we'd like to do a little bit we call bumper comedians, and they take the mic stand, put it behind their back. If they could only probably do it in my club. Right and have the mic top of the mic stand touch the ceiling and they would just go around and bang into each other for like a minute and that was their that was their uh closing bit oh my that's God. cool so we oh had a God. couple of questions for you that we didn't get to on part one what are those questions <laughs> well question number one was uh did you do any ted talks this week <laughs> oh, I uh, I've been doing a TED talk every day because of this show. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I, I I've only done it uh, in my own house. Yeah. But uh, no, I uh, I've talked to a guy named Ted uh, once this week. But no, I haven't done any. But thank you for asking. Yeah. How was that talk? Was he was he Ted a nice guy? Uh, Ted is 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 very nice. Uh. He's a very very nice guy, and he does not. Have Asperger's. <laughs> uh, does he at least have the scuba watch? People with the name Ted usually are nice, in my in my opinion. They are nice. Yeah. <clears throat> what about Alan? Oh, Alan. Uh, I think there. Alan is wonderful. Are you A L A N or A L? One L. One L. A L A N. What did I say? You said one. Are you one A? He asked you if you were A L A N, and then you said one L. He asked me if there were two A's or one A. Can we re-roll re the tape? <laughs> well, it's a listening exercise. Uh, you, you know, I want you to know something, Alan. Um, 
when I left uh, the studio uh, last time I was here, yes, and I got in my car, I thought to myself, <laughs> being with Alan is like smoking thousands of cartons of cigarettes. It's just it was an hour of my life I will never get back. <laughs> That's thank you for the compliment. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but then, hey, at least he gave you the black lung, right? <laughs> yes, you did do that. The black lung is when you get sick. Alan's just giving me death stars. <laughs> I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. By the way, how is Staples Coffee? <laughs> 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 Hell, I don't. I don't drink coffee. This is um. Oh, this is something just in a cup that I got from my last meeting. Oh, oh, oh. he just did. A, he just oh. did a meeting. The assistant oh. gave me this at CBS. Oh, for heaven's sake! For CBS. CBS. Wonderful. What? 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 Uh, were you pitching something? Or I was pitching a television <laughs> show? Oh yes. my! <laughs> was there a part for Alan Wheat? Well, uh, was there? <laughs> Hawaii five, uh, Hawaii six zero. No, no, no. I, I, there's definitely they, de no. we definitely talked about needing um, something <laughs> for. I haven't even said anything yet. You just know because it's gonna be good. <laughs> Jesus. No, no. We did definitely talked about getting a new craft service person. <laughs> I am available for that, by the way. <laughs> I was like, well, I'll take it. <laughs> Did you ever see this movie called Cur? <laughs> Did, Did you ever see this movie called uh, Career Opportunities? It was with Frank Whaley, and um, he, he goes for an interview to work at Target, and he thinks he's working as, like, the store director, and John Candy's interviewing him. And he's like, oh, I thought you were... Uh, being interviewed for the store director, but now I see on the paper you're being interviewed for night cleanup boy. <laughs> and Frank Riley's like, what's the pay? John Caddy's like, minimum wage, two breaks and a lunch. And he's like, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I love Frank Whaley. Frank Whaley uh, started in New York and he actually performed at my comedy club. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. How was that? Good. I loved And he had a great uh, band, too. Was it Frank Whaley and the Whalers? I forget what it was. but yeah. the... I love Frank Whaley. I've been trying to get him for five years since I've had this. But, you know, he's an actor now. It's okay. <laughs> You'll get anybody you want as long as somebody's sick. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, like, I, I always want, but, like, I wanted to, like, uh, I wanted to, like, ask you about career opportunities because that's one of my favorite well, let's talk about your career opportunities. Oh. All right, let's talk let's about Let's talk about part your career two. and what's this is happening. Part two. Part two? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Why don't we talk about what's happening with you and how it relates to other comedians? So tell me comedians you started with who passed you. Three comedians you started with who passed you. Like career-wise? Yeah, tell me three. Okay. Uh, there's one named Grant Cotter. Got it. Grant Cotter. Tell me another He's one. He's very funny. Uh... I would say Amir K. Amir K. Of course, Very he was funny. on the new Mad TV. Yeah, and then I would say who? Probably Jennifer Murphy. Jen Murphy. Jen Murphy. Of yeah. course, yes. So. Great, all three great. 
So uh, tell me why you think they are at a level that's a little higher than yours now. What's your opinion? Oh, because I think that they're just so funny. And you're not funny. No, no, I think I'm very funny. But I think that are you as funny as they are? Ooh, that's me tough stuff. I think I could. Be are one you as of funny them. as they are? Yes or no? I think I could be one of them. Yes or no? <laughs> I think. Well, no, as... because I if I could only beat one sixty. No, I'm not as funny as them. So you're not as funny as them. So that's why you haven't gotten to their level. Yeah, but I'm not jealous of them. I'm proud of them. I didn't say you were jealous. Oh, okay. We're trying to figure out why things are going the way they're going. So oh, right. How to get it where it's supposed to go. Oh, yeah. Right? I, right, yeah, yeah. And so that's true of anybody in any job because you're. it doesn't matter where you are. You could be at the law firm and a promotion comes up for somebody in the office and you're up for the promotion you don't get it and somebody else in the office gets it and you think to yourself, well, why did why did they get it right. <laughs> and I don't? Because we were talking about how, like, every artist, you said that, you know, you've also managed people where they've talked to you about that, you know, where they're like, oh, why I'm not, you know. And I've actually, I actually put a lot of thought on what you said, and I am exactly like all those artists, you know what I mean? Like, I do think that. But I also, like, came up with a solution on why I'm not there, and I'm, I want to tell you. I'm listening. Okay. Well, the, the reason is... is it's one of them doing a podcast <laughs> on your own. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Let's check. But uh, the reason is... Please. Is, um, he's giving you compliments. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm here. <laughs> But no, one of the reasons is because uh, as a comedian, I, I, I'm very fearless as a comedian. But outside of comedy, I live in a very fear, fearful, uh, fearful world. What are your three biggest fears? Outside of comedy or... In, or Whatever. Uh, my three biggest fears is death. Uh, you fear dying? Yes. Extremely. Interesting. Yeah, and I almost died once. And it's not... On stage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe I've almost died twice. All right, so you have a fear of dying. How did you almost die? I got in a car accident, and my car flipped four over four times. I fell asleep when I was driving, and I didn't break any bones or anything, but that was a situation where I could have easily died. Very fortunate. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I want to, it's wrong of me, but I want to put a pin in this because I want to tell you something that happened to me that I've never told to anybody on any okay. air. All right. And now that you said that to me, what I what I share with you is almost unbelievable to right. me. And I never shared it with anybody because I thought, like, this can't happen. happen. Okay. So oftentimes I'll pull an all-nighter once a week to get all my work done because there's so, many, so much stuff to do. And I remember one night I pulled an all-nighter and the next night I had a, a, a party or something that I had to go to a business party where there was, you know, people were drinking and whatever. And I didn't really, I, I might have had one drink at best, but doubtful. But I was exhausted and I went home early and I drove home and I could feel myself hallucinating and I could feel myself falling asleep. Yeah. I pulled I pulled over, excuse me, and I, I, you know, walked around outside as they tell you to do. I splashed water on my face. Chew ice shoot ice but i kept i could feel myself dozing off so i'm on the pacific coast highway i'm by sunset boulevard and then the next thing i know i'm behind the red car that stopped and i'm thinking like what is going on here like what why is this stopped here it doesn't make any sense and i 
realize I'm in the breakdown lane of the Pacific Coast Highway. And there's no one in that car. And I've gone four miles. So I get out of my car, I do that thing again, I get back in my car, and I've got like 10 miles to my destination, I can feel myself dozing off. I, next thing I know, I'm in front of a gate, like a gated house. I don't know where I am, I look at my navigation, I'm six miles past my house. Wow. So then I got out again, I kept myself awake, went home. I thought to myself, I'm never going to let this happen to me again. Yeah. But a month later, it happened again where I actually came to consciousness and I was up four miles up a windy road up in the mountains of Malibu from the Pacific Coast Highway, and I have no idea how I got there. Wow. Wow. So I think to myself, where your car flipped over four times and how it's humanly possible that I fell asleep and lost consciousness and ended up in these places safe. Jeez. It just blows me away. Yeah, yeah. So you're lucky to be alive, and uh, and I will never let that happen to me again, and especially after you told me that story. But you're also very lucky to be alive, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more grateful now than I've ever been, but I'm sorry to bring the show to a screeching halt. So keep no, going. So no, your first, no. So your first thing was fear of death. Second fear was? Wow. Uh, second fear is probably uh, not being loved by anyone. Well, you got one person here who loves you. Alan? Alan. <laughs> and me. He does the kiss. You got two people who love you. Oh, I think. Uh, love by a, by a significant other or love by family and friends? Uh, I would say both. Like a uh, significant other because, you know, I feel very lonely. And family and friends, mm-hmm. I feel that, mm-hmm. you know, I feel that they don't really love me. You know what I mean? I don't know. Interesting. And the third thing? The third thing I'm afraid of is... Uh, I've, my dream is to be a comedian, you know, and the success rate is so, so low because there's so many comics. The third thing I'm fear of is, you know, what if I never accomplish what I want to accomplish? What do you want to accomplish? I want to accomplish, and all honestly, I want to be the best comedian to ever live. Got it. And that's, that's very hard to, you know, those are words that are hard to say because, uh, you know, that, that's kind of impossible because comedy is subjective. You know what I mean? Yeah, so why do you have a fear of something that's not attainable? Mm-hmm. And when I say not attainable... That's what scares me. If the guys on Mount Rushmore of comedy... If I were to ask 20 comedians who's on the Mount Rushmore of comedy... And there's only four of them. And right? there's only four. Okay. So would there be one common name... In everybody's list, would there be two? Would all four be the same in everybody's list? No way. So, I don't think you should have a fear of something that's unattainable. You should just say, I want to be considered to be one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. Because how do you say who's the greatest lawyer of all time? How do you say who's the greatest magician of all time? You know, if you talk to David Copperfield, who's been number one, for 35 years the guy made more money than all but four people in the entertainment business last year except for oprah steven spielberg lucas and michael jordan he did he did 600 and god knows 80 shows last year 
Yeah. He's 60 years old. Yeah. So, and if you were to ask him who's number one or who was the number, who was the greatest magician of all time, it's possible he would say Houdini. Mm -hmm. And he he would say, we all stand on the shoulders of the greats before us. But the bottom line is, is that he is the greatest magician for 35 years in a row. No one has passed this guy. And the reason is because he's... I'm sorry. Are you going to show him a magic trick? That's fantastic. <laughs> now, could you zip up your pants, please? <laughs> it was a thumb. It was just a, I did that as a child. We all did. I thought it was a little humor. <laughs> a little bit. So the <laughs> no, it's, it's he's like, hey, uh, Barry, have you ever seen this before? <laughs> I was just going through my childhood magic. Uh, no, it's good. It's good to go back to your childhood. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember my grandfather actually, like when I was like four or five. I, I loved him very much, and he actually did that trick for me. You know, like Because he was, like, technically he was my step-grandfather, because he's my stepdad's dad. I remember when I first met him, he was, like, trying to be nice and stuff. He's like, oh, I know magic. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, have you ever seen this? And I was like, I thought he actually was taking off his thumb. And then years later, I found out he stole that from everyone else. When did you first see that? When did... Oh, shoot. No, I was just being real no. with you. No, like, awesome. like, that, that reminded me. Like, I even got him tattooed on me, you know, when he died. So Awesome. Yeah. But no, like, Alan was given a sweet moment, and then <laughs> I suck. No, you don't. So, in other words, so so aspiring to be one of the best is yeah, great. Yes. And, and for Copperfield, mm-hmm. who I interviewed, was one of the greatest interviews I ever was a part of in my life for the Industry Standard podcast. It was just, Which is the best podcast just, besides Razor Risk. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> um, but he's just, it just blew me away that a guy, like, <clears throat> at first glance, I said to myself, why is a guy that he made $863 million last year, Jeez. why is a guy doing 650 or 80 shows a year yeah. at 60 years old? He's got a beautiful family, he's got a great house, a great life. It just, and it just occurred to me that <clears throat> if you want to be one of the greatest of all time and get rid of that fear, you obviously have to outwork everybody. Yeah. Not just for one year <clears throat> or two years, but for your whole career. And the only way that you can do it without outworking everybody else is if you're just a natural genius who just naturally goes up and but even then how long can that possibly last i don't know how long that can last and 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 to me the the best are the ones that that work the hardest and work the smartest and know how to navigate relationships with people and you know we when you talk about patrice o'neill great great comedian but he'd be the first one if you were sitting here. You know, he had no problem shooting himself in the foot. And um, he had no problems being in a situation where he complicated winning. And when you have fears like you have, you're complicating winning. you got to, if I were to give you any advice and you're not asking me for it, but oh. 
But the thing is, is for you or anybody listening out there, you just said something so profound. You said in your stand-up, you have no fear. Yeah. You just go on any crowd, you go up, and you have no fear. Your approach to it is fearlessness. And, and that's why the last five years you feel really funny and you're getting where you want to go. In the other side of your life, you have all these fears. Yeah. And so how are you going to get anywhere if you're not using the same formula that you're using on the other thing? Uh, the, the thing that I look at it as is because I actually thought about this, you know, because I had a feeling we were going to talk about this. I really did. Uh, the thing is, when I'm on comedy, I feel that I'm not leashed. I feel like when I'm, you know, not on stage, I feel I'm very leashed. So. Okay, I, so you, one of the things you said was, I have a fear that people won't love me. Yeah. So like, well, I, how are you leashed to that? Like off stage, because I feel I feel that if I, uh, if I just want to be, you know, who I am, because who I am on stage and who I am off stage is the same person. Like I don't have a personality difference. It's just. I feel that if I am this outgoing, funny person who comes up with all this weird stuff off stage, everyone's going to think I'm 20 times weirder. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm pretty broken. You know what I mean? So it's, like, kind of like, uh So I get fear of, like, okay, maybe they don't like me. Maybe they do. You know what I mean? Does Let, that make sense? Let's go Let's go toe-to-toe on this for a second. No, but do, does what I'm saying make yeah. sense? Am I speaking English or gibberish? Yeah, well, it makes sense to you more than anybody else because okay. you're the one... I mean, I dropped my cap. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, if I was, no, but I mean, the biggest thing that I would I would say to you is, I can't believe that you actually believe your own bullshit. What? That's what I. That's the first thing I say to you. Because all all it is is just you know shit you're making up in your mind. Nobody gives a fuck who you love, who loves you, who doesn't (laughs) love you, except for you. Yeah. So it's an insecurity. all, All that stuff. Do you think anybody listening knows who loves you and who doesn't love you and has a tally on a list? Let me see. You got Keith Rizzo. Let me see. He's got a mom. Yeah, dad doesn't love him as much. They'd say dad, dad is actually questionable. Questionable <laughs> sister. Oh, shit. Let me see. Let me go to the second page. Cousins. Yeah. Alan. Cousin Jackie doesn't love that. Oh, uh, you. Ex-girlfriends or boyfriends. Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, nobody cares. It's uh, all in your own fucking head. But do you so, think that do you think that other people are like do you think I'm the only one who thinks that or do you think everyone else who has those fears? Think everybody that too? thinks everything. There isn't one thought that hasn't been thought. Oh, there isn't okay. one insecurity that hasn't been mm-hmm. actualized. Okay. So but, but the I'm point a, but the point being is that <clears throat> let's look at your fear. So your fear you're going a certain way, you're not being yourself out there because right. you're afraid people won't love you for who you are. So let's figure out how that's going for you. Let's okay. look at the last five years when you say you've been your funniest okay. professionally, correct? Mm-hmm. The last five years you've been your funniest, right? Yes. So during those five years, you haven't really been yourself off stage because you're afraid people won't love you as much. So let's look at that for a second. Okay. Really, don't no jokes. No, no, no. How many people do you feel love you? In my life right now? Yes. Uh, probably maybe 10. 10. Great. You got 10 people that love you. Okay? Let's pretend five years ago you were yourself. You 
when you're outside with people, you did whatever you wanted, you handled things the way you wanted to, you lived your life how you wanted to live it for the last five years personally. Mm -hmm. If you had to guess, how many people would love you right now? Wait, from five years ago? No. Oh, got right ten now. people who love you now. Let's pretend we go back and five years ago when you start, you start, we go back in time and from that oh. point until now, oh, okay. you're so who like you want to be okay. off stage. You're, you do whatever you want to do. You talk the way you want to do. You fuck with people. You joke. You're, you're, you don't hold anything back. How many of those ten people don't love you today? Be honest. I would say... Be really honest. I'm, I'm being honest. I would say maybe uh, there would be more than 10. You'd have more than 10 people that would love you. Yeah. So then what the fuck are you afraid of? You're afraid of people not loving you. You're doing things your way, holding back. Yeah. And 10 people love you. If you're yourself, more people would love you. Where's the fear? Right. What do you fear? What are you afraid of? Well, from fi from five years ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I'm scared. No, just answer that question because you'll see what bullshit it is. Okay, I'm I'm scared of loving back, maybe. You didn't say that. We're talking about the people that love you. Yeah. You said, I'm afraid people won't love me. Right. So you just admitted that if you were yourself for the last five years, you'd have more people that loved you. Yeah. So your fear is unfounded. Yeah, that's a better word for it, yeah. So can we get rid of that fear? Because it doesn't oh. exist. It's ridiculous. Oh, okay. All right. Oh. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. All right, so let's go back to the second fear. What was the second fear? Uh, death. Death. Okay, so you fear death. But I think everyone fears that, right? A lot of people do. But, okay. But my mother used to have this saying. She used to say, I'm sure you've heard it, you make plans and God laughs. Oh, I've, I've never heard it. And never so heard it. The, the point is, is that... But I've never met your mother. No, you haven't. <laughs> and you won't. <laughs> Mom, guess who's not coming to dinner? <laughs> Alan. <laughs> so, so um, but the point I'm trying to make is hungry. that, you know, what's the point of fearing something mm -hmm. that it's the one thing in our lives that we have no control over. Dennis Leary used to have this great bit early on when I started with Dennis. And he used to, you know, because Dennis used to smoke tons of cigarettes on stage, just right. constant smoke. You, you can't do it so much anymore, except if you're Chappelle who gets away with it. And he says, people always tell me, you should quit smoking. You're going to die. You're going to die. Quit smoking. And then he talked about this guy back then in the 80s and 90s who was a guru for fitness. His name was Jim Fix. Oh, Jim and Fix. Jim Fix was a guy who believed in the regiment of jogging and, and that cardiovascular training. Mm -hmm. And so he's on stage. He's like, yeah, people try to, you know, Dennis, you should jog. You should jog to be healthy. Yeah, I should jog. You know, Jim Fix, the famous guy who says you should jog, he died. You know how he died? He died of a heart attack. You know who found him on the side of the road? Two smokers. <laughs> that looks like Jim Fix. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go smoke another cigarette. Um, so the point being is that we don't, we don't have any control over that. So why not just go out and make your impact to the world um, every day like it's your last and, and give everything you have to your profession 
and love and and give everything everybody inspire people as much as you can because the bottom line is sadly <laughs> everybody in this lifetime has been born and everybody's going to die and and everybody has the same 24 hours yeah every day and so what are you going to do with it and what are you going to make of it we all know people who've died you especially shouldn't fear death. You should be excited about life because you cheated death. Yeah. The world gave you a second chance. So every time you think in your mind about death. Well, so did you. Th- you I know, yeah. but I don't think about it in those terms. So oh, right. every time you think about the fear of death, it's another minute that you're not working on something that can help inspire and create greatness that can help people in the world and so my feeling is is that this is true of anything whenever you think a negative thought in your head i think the best thing to do is to yell as loud as you can silently and say cancel so every time and this is true for everybody in the audience anything it doesn't matter if you feel like you like you've been diagnosed with something like cancer and you think i'm gonna die just yell in your mind cancel Mm -hmm. and until the thought goes away Mm -hmm. and it works i remember uh, a person that i knew from a long time ago a person from arcadia florida actually her profession was a psychic and that was one of the her favorite things that she said whenever you're thinking negative thoughts just get rid of them out of your mind and she always thought that that was the corniest but best way to do it because if you keep yelling at yourself to cancel the thought eventually Mm -hmm. you will and you'll go on to the next thought what's the third fear Oh, of mine? Mm-hmm. It, it was to, uh, the, of not making it in comedy. Yeah. So that's something you do control. Yeah. And every artist out there controls. And so you control what you do. So you look at somebody like, um, I just interviewed uh, Ricky Lindholm and Kate McCucci, Garfunkel, Garfunkel and Oates. Oh, yeah. And they had individual careers. Now, Ricky Lindholm, the first job I believe she ever booked was as Hillary Swank's sister in Million Dollar Baby. Mm-hmm. So the first role she ever booked, she was in, that? She was in a movie that won an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, where do you, where do you go from that? But she did great stuff, worked in a lot of stuff. She worked with Tim Robbins at the Actors Gang, amazing mm-hmm. stuff. And Kate did a number of different great things. Mm-hmm. And then they collaborated together and started writing these songs and shooting these videos. And they had no money in their bank account. They borrowed money. They did whatever. They were, you know, they had nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And, but they thought they could create something great. They worked really hard on it. They pushed themselves. They shot the video. And 10 million views. And it's... You know, again, you just got to work on the craft and whatever cylinders you have in your engine. How many cylinders in your engine are you working on? Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, if you look at a comedian, if you look at all the things that a comedian. If can you need do, to pick that up, again, it might be Chappelle. What am I picking up? Oh, is on your phone ring? Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no. If it's Dave, you could be like, "Hey, Dave." <laughs> no, it's a. I'm just on a the former Saturday Night Live cast member who's oh. calling me. Uh, Excellent. I'm dropping more names than Oscar Schindler. <laughs> um, so, um, so if you look at the ten cylinders, not ten cylinders, but you look at all the cylinders. Mm-hmm. Let's just say a, a comedian's. I know there's a lot of different people who listen to this, but let's just take a comedian. Mm-hmm. 
let's just think of all the things right now together that a comedian has talent that they can do, okay? So they can act, okay? They can act comedically mm. or dramatically. So I'm going to use those two cylinders, comedically or dramatically. They can host. They could host shows, uh, television shows, game shows. They could host uh, any kind of thing. You know, Burt Kreischer is doing something now. Uh, a cooking show, a comedy cooking show. I think it gets more views than any cooking show ever, and it's on. It's not even on a network, really. I mean, yeah. it's just you know, it's um, it's on. It's on the internet. Yeah, it's on yeah. all things comedy. All right, so there's hosting. There's writing television. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's writing television half hour comedy. There's writing television drama. Mm-hmm. There's writing film, comedy. Drama, horror, and I'm saying these things, and now I'm at eight cylinders right now. And why am I saying these things? I'm saying these things because Jordan Peele was a comedy guy. Yeah. Jordan Peele's a comedy guy, but he wrote Get Out. Would you ever, if, if Jordan Peele walked in any manager agent's office and he said, you know, I, this next thing I do, I really want to do a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, you know, could you just stay in your lane? Yeah. yeah. No, I really want to do this. Bo Burnham. Okay. Guitar comic in his bedroom. Okay. Not even a comic. Mm -hmm. Never did comedy. Gets millions of views. Becomes that guy. What does he do next? What does he do at 27? Eighth grade, directs it, produces it, critically acclaimed. If Bo Burnham walked in anyone's office and said, you know, I'm thinking of doing this movie eighth grade. Mm-hmm. What? You know, it's like John Ridley, great comedian. Great comedian. Look him up. Yeah. Everything he's writing, dramatic, amazing, nominated for Academy Awards. It's like, so we're at eight right now. You got radio. You got podcasts. Now we're at 10. Uh, what have we got left here? We got books. That's 11. A, write a book. Audio books. 12. Audio books. <laughs> 12. So, um, and I'm not even thinking of everything I possibly can think of. Right. You know, in terms of these things. We got directing. Oh. That's what Alan Lee wants to do. Yeah. You got producing. Um, so I'm sure there's probably 15 to 20 different lanes that every comedian could do. Oh, sorry. So it's uh, writing comedy music. Oh. Yeah. Writing regular music. Advertising. Performing it. You know, these are all things that, that you know, are there. And we're, we're, you know, well, the biggest thing we're forgetting here, and we're at probably 17, is stand-up comedy. Yeah. You know, performing in front of audiences. And, you know, so when you look at something, the way I, I see it, and again, I have a vision of how I think things can be, and I believe they can be that way. But let's just pretend we throw out all those lanes and we just look at just acting and stand-up. And you look at these things, and when I, when I see 
you look at balance. It's like sports. You don't want to have a player like, don't get me wrong, Isaiah Thomas is an amazing player. Amazing. I mean, the guy is tremendous. Mm -hmm. But he's not a defensive player. Carmelo Anthony can normally score tremendously, except in last year's playoffs, but but not a defensive player. But the greatest players in the NBA that everybody knows are the greatest players are two-way players. (laughs) Are two-way players who can play defense and offense and can dish out assists. So Rondo, no matter what kind of a problem he ever is, and people know that he's difficult, and we talked about comedians that are difficult. When you're that talented and you can <laughs> dish assists, you can rebound, you can score a little, I mean, <laughs> a little. You're, you're there. And yeah. so everybody looks at that. So it's the mm-hmm. same thing in comedy. I look at you're going to be best off if you have a balanced career and your finances come from uh, a lot of different places or at least two places. The greatest comedians you'll ever find that have the most success in the world are the ones that make just as much money doing personal appearances as they do acting. Kevin Hart, it's it's quite possible that he makes just as much money doing stand-up as he does in acting. Yeah. He might make more in stand-up, but the point being, it, it's it's it, there's a balance there. Right. You look at Jim Gaffigan; he can act, you know, and he can do stand-up. And the people who don't do that are the ones that are imbalanced. Are normally not at the highest end of the comedy list and at the top of the comedy list because Jim Jeffries he does great stand-up. He's got his own show. Whitney Cummings. Whitney Cummings, great stand-up. He has a lot of dates. Does writing, you know, two broke girls. Mm-hmm. She's not an actor on the show. Mm-hmm. She writes it, but she, she also but wrote she, for she wrote Yeah, oh, yeah and so the point is, is that as a comic, you have all these lanes. So you're using a lot of your lanes. You're using, you're doing the stand-up, you're doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. But what else are you doing? Are you getting up every morning and are you working on scenes and putting them on tape as an actor? Right. And going back and forth and looking at them. Are you taking acting classes? And that's the thing that most comedians don't do is they, if you think about it, comedians love doing stand-up comedy because they write, direct, produce, star in. You yeah. know, they do everything and they're in control, total control of their life and their business. Every show they do, no one goes up before they go on and says, hey, uh, listen, before you go on, I just want to let you know you can't say fuck. And, you know, that bit you do about gun control, uh, don't do that here. Yeah. And the bit you do about holding the girl's head and saying you hate her while she's doing that to you, don't do not do that. But everything else is good. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a really amazing story about... We do have the light, though. How much time do we have? We have, like, two minutes. I want to hear this. We could bring you back for season six no i'm gonna say this real quickly (laughs) to show you how to be true to your art and what it is and why people do things dane cook had three corporate gigs like fifty thousand dollar each when he had nothing Mm -hmm. he gets done with the first gig gets a standing ovation the guy comes back and he says uh listen dane for the next gigs could you not swear um for the next gigs 
and he took the guy's check, $50,000, and ripped it up and gave it to him and said, find somebody to do the other gigs. Uh-huh. And so he was being true to himself, but he knew what he had to do, and he was a smart business person. Mm-hmm. And if you follow what he did, you can see how you can make things happen with all the different lanes. He acted, he wrote, he did a lot of different things. He marketed himself. Mm-hmm. And for you and every comic and artist out there, that's what you have the ability to do. Work on those lanes, work hard on them like you do your stand-up, and balance your career, and you'll rise to the top faster than you can ever imagine. Yeah, uh, I wanted to leave on this, though, but uh, la- last time on part one, you said that uh, you, to get... I, I got to make this fast because we don't have a lot of time. But you said that you got to mail your product to different people over and over again. You know, FedEx it, mm-hmm. 45, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, you got to do what it takes to get your name seen. So I couldn't afford a FedEx guy, but I got you something that I wrote. And I'm hoping that, you know, you see that since I hand delivered it to you, regardless what you do with it, I hope you know that it's from my heart. And thank you very much for doing Razor Roast, buddy. I'm honored you gave me this, and I will definitely look at it. Uh, and I will tell you what I think, and uh, I'm glad you wrote it. So that's another lane you're in and you're doing. I love you very much, brother. You should be very proud. Alan, and no Barry. matter what I said to you, just remember, <laughs> I meant it. Thank you. And no, Barry. I love you, Alan. Thank you. And I won't do one of these ten in my career. <laughs> He's calling back the magic act with a thumb. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thank it's you. to do the finale. Thank you. Uh, oh, please. Sub- subscribe to Razor Riffs. Follow us on social media. Rate and review. Also, Barry Katz has the second best podcast in the world. One of the best. Yeah. Industry standards. Industry standard. And rate and review on that. And uh, I'm right here today. I love you, Barry. Thank, Thank you, so you much, Barry. I love you guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Wow. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on L.A. Talk Radio. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, write, and review on Apple Podcasts. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there. www.stereo.com slash Keith And on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.